Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekky perspective. We're here with another edition of Spotlight at the Movies, the strand of our podcast where we analyse a film featuring a member of Star Trek alumni, either in front or behind the camera. Today the film we'll be covering is Chuck Turner from 1974, starring, amongst other people, our Star Trek connection, Nichelle Nichols, Uhura from Star Trek the original series and all of the uh, Star Trek original movies to discuss this tonight I have with me my regular co-host Matt hello Liam and we are also joined by a very special guest as we have no Paul in the house tonight regular guest Daryl Barr (laughs) from Sun Double Deep Hello, Liam. Hello, it's great to have you back, mate. Thank you so much for joining oh, it's us. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This one's been a long time coming. It really has. Uh, literally, we originally <laughs> wanted to record this back in like August. Uh, yeah. Well, it was um, when it was warm enough to be sat out on a bench in the garden mm-hmm. until the wee hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we were recording some episodes of Sun Double Deep that I was uh, guest on. But we are here to talk about Chuck turner finally the fantastic 1974 black exploitation epic starring isaac hayes in the lead uh, like i say is starring michelle nichols as well she's kind of like one of the lead villains in this mm-hmm. but the actual lead of the film mac truck turner himself old double threat isaac hayes who of course did one of the most famous black exploitation soundtracks shaft Academy Award winning. Oh, possibly. I think it is. Possibly. I mean, it should have been. Yeah, it yeah. should have been, and certainly, I would say, is the most famous song from any black exploitation film. Oh, one hundred percent. yes, Academy Award winning, two Oscars, best music. Could you imagine song. something like that for such a B movie flick to to yeah. even get in the conversation? But like a, but like today. a grimy, dirty, cheap film. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. The street. Well, this is the thing. We should talk a little bit about what black exploitation even is, because this is very much a genre completely rooted in 1970s cinema and there might be some people listening who don't even know what black exploitation is well what's the equivalent these days or is it very much i don't think i don't think we have an equivalent i was thinking this the other day like that early 70s era where we have all of these great black exploitation films really come to fruition that was also when giallo was kicking off massively in italy and like there was something mm. about that early 70s era that was just the, the tail end of all the italian westerns this, as yeah well. it's a beautiful wellspring for genre cinema in terms basically. of these seasons of cinema that we get at the time from all these different countries and filmmakers you're right yeah so this was a time where at the end of the day i would say the african americans were not well represented in mainstream cinema. Lord, no. Basically, if you weren't Sydney Poitier, you weren't getting in. Like, 100%. Yeah, pretty, yeah, yeah. pretty much. And black exploitation basically came out, I would say, off the back of, I mean, a lot of people point to Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song as kind of being the original black exploitation film. There's also movies, I would say, that are kind of considered precursors. Mm-hmm. In the Heat of the Night is probably considered a precursor, yeah. uh, slightly, even though it's, mm-hmm. it's very much not a kind of black exploitation feeling no. film. Black exploitation is it's exploitation cinema for a black audience. Yes, exactly That's, that. Yeah, and it's actually considering a black audience as well and going, you know, we could literally, you know, 
You know these like shitty crime flicks we've been making with white people since the year dot. We can make these with black casts and black audiences come to them. And well, with regards to like um, you know AIP American Independent Pictures and that, you know, predominantly uh, it's, it's Jewish producers and Jewish directors. They went, say, <laughs> this is a this is a money spinner here. Well, that's the thing. The the color Hollywood loves most is green, and yep. I actually learned quite a lot from the excellent documentary uh, that was recently released on Netflix, Is That Black Enough For You? Which is directed by Elvis Mitchell who in the podcast world people might know Elvis Mitchell from his podcast The Treatment Mm -hmm. Uh, which I assume is still going, uh, but certainly used to be uh, very popular back in the day, which is a great podcast where Elvis Mitchell, I think is kind of, you know, uh, a critic and like commentator on film, used to interview people kind of, you know, on the uh, promo circuit stuff and do very kind of interesting interviews with them. A really cool guy. And he uh, made a film uh, not so much about, it is about black exploitation cinema, although... I would say that there there's a section in that film where he they kind of debate that term a little bit. Right. Um, and kind of literally it's more just about black cinema, specifically in the 70s. So, you know, what is the black exploitation era and kind of how, what led to that? Uh, essentially, it's really fascinating. Um, it's a reasonably new film or available on Netflix. Oh. I would recommend. Yeah, everyone came out, go came out watch last it. month. Yeah, it's 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 really really good. I watched it uh, the other week. It's a very much a personal history of kind of black cinema through his through his eyes, mm. and he kind of talks about how obviously there was a lot of segregation in uh, America in like the early part of the um, of the twentieth century. And yeah. literally, he talks about how there were white cinemas and black cinemas. It wasn't just that they were segregated in terms of, like, you know, sections. It was literally like black people weren't allowed in the white cinemas. They had their own cinemas. And at those cinemas, not only that, because I was like, okay, they split, that's really, really bad. But, you know, at least they still get to go to the cinema. But it was a case of the films getting shown at the black cinemas were like usually like three years old. Like as in they weren't even allowed the new films. Mm. So it was like punishing them. Like are they being like, not only do you have to go to like your own cinema, which they said like their cinemas were usually like really run down and stuff right, and it, yeah. in not great, great areas and stuff like that. But also it's like, oh, you're going to get like the films from three years ago, not the latest stuff. God, so like before like home video releases as well, of course, it's like, oh yeah, yeah you're yeah, essentially yeah, yeah. getting a re-release, but for you, this is like what you, all you can go and see. Exactly. And this would be the first time Oof. you've been able to go and see it. So what would happen is basically independent filmmakers, black independent filmmakers, would start making their own films to kind of fill the gap. Mm. And he kind of talks about essentially independent cinema kind of was birthed by African-Americans in a, in, a, in a weird way in the sense of because they he said this was not independent cinema in like the cool hip way we tend to think of it like today. No. This was independent cinema in the sense of out of uh, necessity of like making films to fill their kind of screens that they could all go and see. Usually very much on the cheap and stuff like that. And he, and he kind of, you know, tracks this far line between that and the birth of black exploitation because obviously, you know, something like... Uh, Sweet, sweet backs, badass song. 
Uh, it was very much an independently produced film directed by a black man. Um, the, the differential is a lot of the films from the black exploitation era were not actually directed by no. African Americans. Some of them are, but not uh, not a lot of them. So literally, really, uh, I suppose you could argue that he very much did give birth to that. And uh, it's Melvin Melvin Peebles, isn't it, uh-huh. who uh, directed uh, that? And um, and then off the back of that, you get Shaft. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was very much I mean Shaft was like a studio picture like you know like proper oh, like, yeah, proper yeah. film money behind it. and the popularity of that like I say made them realise there was money in this it was mm. big financial success Shaft I mean yeah they're still making fucking Shaft movies today at the yeah. end of the day like, yeah, it. It. yeah yeah and uh, they started rolling out these kind of low-budget independent movies. And like you say, it was essentially exploitation cinema. Yeah. These kind of grindhousey, low-budget action pictures with lots of sex and violence, kind of thing, mm-hmm. but with black leads. Um, yeah. You know, I think a great, I think a great like, peek behind the curtain of, of it all that people might be aware of is Dolomite Is My Name, of course, yeah. from Eddie Murphy and Craig Brewer, which, you know, looking at the making of Dolomite from 1975, which really, I mean, that film in itself, in itself really goes to show how audiences were at the time and how, you know, you just get a certain character come along like Rudy Ray Moore uh, and really put his heart and soul into making something, you know, for the people. And, you know, I, I always think back to that scene where they go to the cinema and they see, uh, was it the front page with um, Walter Matthau? Yeah, and they're just like, ain't no funny, ain't no titty, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, in terms of like black exploitation credentials, where where do we all sit, guys? What what have we seen? Yes, this is what I wanted to do: black exploitation credentials, yeah. and see where we all yeah we, we will sit with the genre. Daryl, why don't you start us off? Oh, mate! All right, so uh, yeah. Black exploitation is one of those. I mean, I, you guys know me well enough. I love uh, a nice little sub-genre of anything. Really, it's, <laughs> it's kind of my my bag. So, you know, things like Superfly, Cross Hundred Tenth Street, um, Black Caesar, Hell Up in Harlem, all amazing. Love them. Um, Foxy Brown, we covered on Sunday Deep. Coffee, fucking love that film. And then you got stuff like the the hot. Like where we came it from the horror aspect, things like Blackula and Scream, Blackula Scream, right? Which would have been my probably my route in. But yeah, like Shaft and its two not so great sequels. Yeah, just a, a big fan. I've not seen a single Rudy Ray Moore film to this day, mm. and that's entirely on me. Yeah, uh, I keep missing it when the Prince Charles Cinema put on screenings of the original Dolomite. Yeah. I know they did it quite a lot oh, of the time. Oh, God, oh, that would be a blast, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. a bit freebie, I'm that, sure. That's, I, I mean, think, I think they were that's definitely, kind of the perfect way to see it. Yeah, I think, I think they were yeah. definitely doing it around the time Dolomite as my name was out, obviously. Mm. So, yeah, with me, uh, Black Exploitation, I think my entry point was the same as Matthew's, uh, where when we were yeah. living together in Bournemouth in the late noughties, I remember early on in kind of like us living together because Black Dynamite came out in 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We came onto it really early, didn't we? Yeah, it was when we were living together. It was really early. I can't remember how we first heard it was happening. We must have just seen the trailer, which is the greatest trailer of all time, and just gotten absolutely obsessed with it. And then either you or a friend of ours managed to get like the work print version. Like it was like a pirate copy. Yes, because it wasn't the finished no, cut. No, it's a different as cut. we discovered later. It's, I can't remember if it's shorter or longer, but there's definitely certain bits that aren't in that one that are in the final one. I think that's the way around it works, which is the better way around. But I remember I was going around that friend's house and watching it and being like, holy shit, this is incredible. And then I don't know how long it would have been before the DVD came along or we saw it again. 
But then, of course, Black Dynamite is one of the greatest comedies of the last 20 years. And getting to see it at uh, my local Phoenix cinema with all of you guys, mm. plus Ben, ben uh, Benji Box and Steve Trumbull and a whole bunch of us went, didn't we? And that was almost the best kind of midnight movie big screen experience yeah that was amazing and that made me love the film even more um so basically with black dynamite it was a case of literally the trailer came out really early i think in 2008 because it might have even been i'm pretty sure with black dynamite was one of those films where they released a trailer to get more funding i think and so the trailer i think came out like 2008 we ages before we saw the film well this is still at the tail end of like the grindhouse resurrection Mm. stuff Mm. that came about with Tarantino and Rodriguez and that when it was a lot of like fake trailers coming along literally we we saw that trailer and like I say it's literally yeah it's all clips from the film so I think like it, it was a case that they had yeah. shot and I think they probably needed money to like finish it off post prod or something like mm-hmm. that but it's uh, a pitch perfect spoof of those trailers in the yes, same way that yes. the film itself is a sure. pitch perfect spoof well, of the film which is interesting because at the time we didn't know that obviously no. because that's the thing at the time I don't think either of us really knew a huge amount about black exploitation I think we knew it existed so, so what that has meant is that every actual black exploitation film we've watched since we've been like oh there's that, where that yes. bit comes from there's where that bit comes from from black dynamite which I'm still doing to this day with like, every black exploitation <laughs> film I see which is why I will say Black Dynamite I think is the greatest spoof comedy of all time like movie wise because literally I've now seen probably like two dozen exploitation films or something like that and still even when I watch a new one there's always something in it where mm-hmm. I'm like oh I thought I was done with films that have influenced Black Dynamite no here's another thing this, <laughs> this, is, this is from this is a direct pull like where's well, that like, perfect you know, thing where it's a hilarious spoof of the genre and it's also a perfect example of that genre yeah well I think that's what they were aiming for in terms of Black Dynamite the, the GCs it is hilarious but it actually you could buy it being a legitimate black exploitation film as well that's what makes it brilliant and so i think because of that we saw that trailer and we instantly were oh wow we we need to get into this genre because this is amazing and i think because we had to wait so long for black dynamite but i started picking out a couple of dvds of black exploitation films i tell you what the one film that i think you and me would have both seen before black dynamite was superfly oh no well i think we might have seen it before Black Dynamite does it actually before we yeah. saw the film, but we were seeing it. All of these we were seeing after. That oh trailer, yeah, because yeah. that's what sparked our. Because I had interest. that, I had that soundtrack on my iPod, and like I remember that very much being connected to those days in that flat for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, I I could tell you exactly the ones that were basically it. The only one I might have seen before Black Dynamite was Shaft. I have a feeling I might have seen Shaft before, but after that. I picked up the DVDs for Superfly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember this, uh, Matt, but we started to have basically black exploitation screenings in the flat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we got people around and stuff like that. And so we did Superfly, Chuck Turner, mm-hmm. and Trouble Man. Yeah. Because I literally remember ch- watching Trouble Man with uh, you and Kate and some other people. Because I remember Kate telling me that I walked like the lead of Trouble Man. Like, <laughs> like, like, uh, then obviously, and the soundtracks to all of those, all oh three my, of they're, them, they're, yeah, they're the Curtis Mayfield, Isaac Hayes, and Martin Gaye soundtracks. Peek pe- behind the curtain. Um, bef- you know, when, when we still had no idea that the, the wee baby Edith was a little girl, um, the number one 
name on the boys Trouble list man. was 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 Superfly. No, <laughs> it was it was Curtis. It was Curtis. It was because yeah, Curtis Mayfield was like buzzing oh, wow. around my fucking head and and the like pushy uh, man himself. I was one hundred percent like you know it's Curtis straight up. Like, oh, you know, that, we baby it. Curtis. So it was, we're very, yeah, the universe. we baby Edith was was you know you know alternate reality. We baby Curtis, straight <laughs> up. That that is amazing because yeah, yeah, and so we picked it and all and we watch. I remember we watch all the trailers for those films on YouTube before we watch them as well. And both the well, trailer... 2008, it wasn't quick time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The trailer for Chuck Turner was incredible. You, you'll definitely hear the trailer for that in this episode. Isaac Hayes as a skip tracer, a modern-day bounty hunter, making a healthy living by making living unhealthy for cats who skip bail. Gentlemen, this is my family. These all prime cut $238,000 worth of dynamite is Fort Knox in pennies. That's taffy. <laughs> her clients call her Colonel Sanders because she's finger licking good. The man who kills him gets my broads. Truck, they're gonna kill you. They're gonna have to do just that because they owe me. I'm gonna collect. When he gets it on, the action takes off. Isaac Hayes, the magic name of music, winner of the Academy Award for his music in Shaft and scoring again in this one. Truck Turner. And the trailer for Superfly was amazing. Because mm-hmm. some the voiceovers he chose are incredible. The trailer for Superfly is like, when it comes to the ladies, they come to him. <laughs> <laughs> I want trailers to do this again yeah. now. Stop yeah. just showing tra- boring trailers that show the whole film and get a, a voiceover man with a personality doing zingers. I was just in love with the genre. And just over the years, I've caught up with a bunch mm. more black exploitation. And funnily enough, the, the good thing about us having to delay this podcast is literally I just use the time to watch a load more <laughs> like yeah. presentation. Like in the last couple of months... I've watched Slaughter, Trick Baby, Gordon's War, The Spook Who Sat by the Door, The Education of Sonny Carson, and I started watching Free the Hard Way, which was amazing, and got literally almost the end, and fucking Warner Brothers took it off of YouTube. <laughs> like, Son of a bitch! Because they, annoyingly, you can find a lot, a lot of black exploitation films on YouTube. Because a lot of them are hard to yeah. get hold of and stuff like that. Mm. But that really annoyed me because Free the Hard Way was awesome um, for the part that I had to see. I had like 15 minutes left. It wasn't available on streaming anywhere. Oh. It wasn't released on UK DVD or Blu-ray. I just don't think that a film studio should be allowed to remove a film yeah, from somewhere if it's not, not available in that territory. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, straight So up. eventually I found a like foreign i don't know spanish dvd or something like which is region free of it on amazon so it's fine so i just bought that and that's coming to me at the moment so that's fine i will get to see the end because it was really 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 fucking good it's kind of like the expendables of black exploitation because it's jim brown who's the one who's in slaughter Mm -hmm. and then there's 
Fred Williamson, who's mm-hmm. the one from Black Caesar. Yeah. And there's Jim Kelly, who's the one from Black Pop Jones. Right, yeah. Like, so it's literally three of the biggest stars of Black Exploitation in one film together. And it is done, like, they obviously know what they've got. They know yeah. they've got the three biggest stars because they introduce them, like, separately in their own big own scenes. And the one that introduces Jim Kelly, Black Belt Jones, is him just, like, kicking the fuck out of loads of cops. Like, some cops, like, stop. Is the Jim street. Kelly the guy from Enter the Dragon? Yes. Yeah, straight up. Like karate. Yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And literally, like, um, yeah, some cop stuff in the street. And he's just like, oh, fuck you, copper. Just like <laughs> bats him. And then, like, more and more cops start driving in. He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like Jesus. kicking the fuck out of him. Yeah, it's very, very funny. I just sat here adding, like, so many of these to my watch list as we speak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll link you up with there's a great Blaxploitation Plus list on, mm. on Letterboxd, which, which I cloned years ago. And I've just been going through that and like, so yes, last night, well, I had loads of time on my hands uh, yesterday afternoon slash evening. And so I was like, oh, I could watch Truck Turner for a third time this year. I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to watch some that are on that list. So I watched yesterday, I watched Top of the Heap from 1972, which is one of the angriest films I've ever seen in my life. Oh, and wow, it's okay. fucking brilliant. It's written, directed and starring, it doesn't write the theme tune though, Christopher St. John. And it's it's this really heady angry film as he's this black guy who's a cop who's like also living this dual life in that he's got this side piece as well and he's just he's just angry at his lot in life he's angry obviously you know socially you know how fucked things are for him he's angry that he's part of the system and he can't do any right can't do right for doing wrong and it's just the whole film is just this guy's just fucking seething for life honestly it's like the closest thing to abel Ferrara's bad lieutenant i've seen in a insane amount of time and he's got these weird kind of like dreamlike sequences in it as he starts to like just have these like weird daydreams about wishing that he was this other guy this astronaut who's like beloved by people but still kind of hated by nasa because he's black and it's just, it's, he's just rage fueled even in his fantasies uh it's really fucking good uh i then because i wanted just a bit more upbeat i then watched friday foster which is a pam greer yafat koto carl weathers and a cavalcade of amazing black actors from 1975 and then i followed that with sheba baby which is another uh another 1975 pam greer film which wasn't as good but still you know i mean like it's it's pam greer you're not gonna put a foot wrong mm-hmm. with her in anything as really. with all these movements of of cinema and seasons i'm always amazed at how many they churn out in the years that they, that they do so like between mm. like say 71 75 the amount of these that fall oh, into God, that yeah. gap same with the spaghetti westerns as well like the fact that mm-hmm. so many come out in the late 60s and obviously you know we know that they would have all been shot in Almeria in the same bloody place so it's like at a certain point there must be so many happening at once that you're fighting not to just appear in the background of each other's shoots you know so the amount of these ones being done and how busy like the New York streets would have been or the LA streets but we should get into the uh, main feature presentation Chuck Turner and we can come back to some maybe some other black exploitation recommendations at the end of the podcast I think but we should talk about the main event uh, Chuck Turner 1974 he's like a bulldog with eyes up his ass uh, <laughs> is a line that's used to describe the uh, lead character at one point written by Oscar Williams who also wrote Black Belt Jones which I've already mentioned and the final countdown uh, which is a very political uh, black exploitation film, which I have seen. It's it's good, quite like a made and stuff, but it 
very much, you know, a lot of these black exploitation films were, were just essentially, you know, action pictures. Uh, although a lot of them inevitably have some social commentary in them, even if they're not really those type of films. Uh, but this one is is very much kind of rooted in kind of black rebellion and stuff like that. So it's an interesting, interesting movie. And directed by Jonathan Kaplan, who directed, uh, amongst other things, Over the Edge, An Unlawful Entry, Mm. both of which I want to see. And he also directed The Accused, uh, which is a famous kind of courtroom drama, so you'll love that, Daryl, um, <laughs> about a uh, rape case with uh, Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah. Right, the yeah, uh-huh. Is that uh-huh. from the early 90s? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah, I mean, I Jonathan that. Kaplan, like, you know, legit director, uh, very much. Unlawful Entry is a Ray Liotta mm. film. It's co-written by Michael Allen, who uh, wrote Enter the Dragon as well. It stars Isaac Hayes in the lead. Now, most people, I think, will know Isaac Hayes as Chef in South Park. Uh, The voice of Chef for, I don't know, the first 10 seasons or something like that before he quit. Well, Um, it was, he quit after the Trapped in the Closet episode, didn't he? Wasn't it the Scientology? Is that the Scientology? Yeah, Scientology Scientology one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was that he was a Scientologist, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's dead now, wasn't he? He's very dead, dead, yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) He was a Scientologist and they did an episode critiquing or satirising Scientology. Mm -hmm. And he was like, that's it, lad, somehow. Couldn't hack it. Um, You know, I've got, I've got, at the time, it's very much that kind of thing of like, uh, I believe the other comments were like, oh, yeah, well, we like, you know, we took the piss out of like everything and he didn't have a problem with it but once it was his film yeah like blah, 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 there was yeah. like specifically like those seasons like season 8 onwards like every season they'd be like oh we're taking the piss out of Mormons we're taking the piss out of this and that and that and they finally got to Scientology after about three or four other piss takes of other religions sub-religions side religions whatever and uh, and yeah suddenly he obviously you know got his hackles up and he left and so they did that episode where Chef turned out to be a pedophile. Yes. And they just used yes. all of his, um, like, <laughs> yeah. his, yeah, hello, like, hello, clips, children. <laughs> his clips from I previous episodes children. against him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those bits, as a, it, as a revenge piece of oh, art, it's, it's, it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> um, and it is, it is very funny. I do remember it being very uh-huh. funny. I mean, I, it's one of those things where South Park, at the end of the day, I think my view on it has been slightly coloured now by what its creators have become as their political allegiances yeah. have become more clear mm. over time. I think I've become slightly wary of some of the messages in those I think it's one of those things as well. When, when it came out, when it, there was nothing like it in the 90s when that, when that was released. And it was like, it very much spoke... To to a you know a, a generation Y from a generation X lens, and you're like fuck, you can be irreverent and this and that, and this is great, this is brilliant, and maybe for about six or seven seasons, and we as we're growing with it into our twenties, it was like yeah, this is great, and then you grow up, and then you're like, oh, actually no, some of this is actually bollocks, and and yeah, it's continued to like they're still festering in this in this very like 1996 soup. Well, nine nine seven super or whatever, and then we've you know, yeah, it's weird because no no kids today get to the age we were when it started, and then discover South Park as the first bit of adult no. TV they find because there's so much more of it out there now. Yeah. Whereas well, I very I very much remember going to bed when I was like eleven or twelve, and then like sneakily turning my little TV on. I wonder like, where this is going, <laughs> and then 
staying up to watch South Park and they're still chatting about it at school the next day. And yeah, I yeah. mean, I remember you know those days it first coming on and everyone being like absolutely enamoured with it. And I will say that I kind of think South Park kept its quality for longer than Simpsons? any of the other yeah any of the other adult animated yeah. shows like i mean simpsons first eight seasons like you know absolute masterpieces mm. and then it starts to go off a bit whereas like south park i would say for its first like 12 seasons well or you know what? Like i think i think the, the 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 quality was like get your film out early which is what yes, they did get whereas out the, the way. simpsons it was like 20 years in the making you're like why? Well, that's the thing. Simpsons had already dropped off a cliff by the time the film 100%. came out. One hundred percent. Like in terms yeah. of th- that was the weird thing for me. Is like went to see the Simpsons movie, and I hadn't watched the Simpsons for like ten years. No, <laughs> no, like, totally, you know, yeah. like you know. Yeah. But yeah, with uh, South Park now, the fact that it's, it's one of those things. With any of these shows, Simpsons, South Park, Family Guy, all those shit, they're all still on, and it mm. boggles my mind. But anyway, twenty-five seasons so far. <laughs> oh my god, more to come. Anyway, that's probably where you know Isaac Hayes from. However, yeah. before he was chef in South Park, he was a very successful recording artist, singing about another man's shaft. Uh, yes, indeed, yeah. and uh, lots. Of, I mean, he's done some really, really cool tracks. Yeah. Without him, there wouldn't be two of my favorite tracks from the trip hop era, which both sampled the exact same Isaac Hayes track. So you've got like both Tricky and Portishead sampled as it Ike's Rap Part Two, I think mm-hmm. it was, for Glory Box, and for Hell Is Round the Corner. And the abused you. I took advantage of you. I used you selfishly. And so, like for me, who was like grumpy fourteen-year-old listening to Port's Head and Tricky and Massive Attack and all those acts from that that very specific era, you were like, like, Say. like listening to that fucking listening to that piece of music and just being like, I fucking know this dude. Yeah. And like the only reason that like a lot of those bands, especially those Bristonian ones, even got to be where they were is because they'd have house parties and something would get incredibly lean and at some point late in the evening somebody would play like an old Isaac Hayes record and they were like I'm going to sample this one day well the track of his which I absolutely love before the Black Exploitation era is Walk On By from Hot Buttered Soul right uh, which was inspired which what started his love of uh, fascination with cinema because it was inspired by Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, which you can hear very much in, mm. in the music. And he he loved that film. And from that, he was like, oh, I want to be, be on the screen. I want to yeah. write for kind of cinema. Well, it's amazing that you say about, you know, black exploitation being a chance for black creatives to put themselves on screen. Uh, Jonathan Kaplan here says that Chuck Turner was written for Lee Marvin, uh, Robert Mitchum, or Ernest Borgnine. So very much a white actor. And uh, when they couldn't get any of them... They said it's now a black picture, and Isaac was cast. Yeah, well, that's the yeah. I found that fascinating because I think that might be why this film, as much as it definitely has black exploitation elements, feels much more like just a seventies hardboiled crime picture yeah. with some black exploitation elements hung on it, rather than a full kind of black exploitation movie it's really well put together and made mm. and done like uh, especially in its cinematography and shooting style so i yeah that's really really impressive about it but of course this this is basically isaac hayes first lead role because before this 
He only had one acting role prior to this, which was also in 1974, a film called Three Tough Guys, where he's the co-lead with Fred Williamson and uh, Lena Ventura. Uh, so he's not the uh, lead. This is mm. his first lead role, where he essentially gets through the shaft thing and actually have his own theme tune, which, of course, he writes again. And it, it basically, the theme tune to Chuck Turner is basically the theme tune to Shaft mm. with Chuck Turner instead of Shaft. Like, yeah, it's, it's very, very similar. And I think if you spoke to Isaac Hayes, I think he would have loved to have played Shaft. Mm-hmm. and yeah. I think it was a case of he couldn't play Shaft, and when as soon as he had his opportunity to take the lead in one of these kind of films, he was like, right, that's it. Now I, now I get my show. I get to be kind of Shaft. I think it gets me about this era of films especially is the lack of pragmatism in like even your small independent studios that you wouldn't then see in the 80s and the 90s when you had VHS release and stuff in that Truck Turner never got sequels. And that blows my fucking mind because this is one of those characters that I, I think probably the, the indelible nature of it, it took decades for us to look back and go, it's Truck Turner. This is yeah. This is like, this is a name. This this is something you should have had. Have all the names there are, it's one that, yeah, you yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. And I could have quite happily seen, you know, Truck Turner's big score and Truck Turner in Africa. And like, you know, if, yeah. you're, if you're going to go the shaft route. I would have loved to see more Chuck Turner movies. Yeah. Like, because what I like about his character is I would say he's very atypical for a black exploitation hero. Most black exploitation heroes are quite similar, but cut from the same cloth. Like there's like Shaft or kind of Jim Brown. Jim Brown, I think, very much when you watch his films, he feels like the main inspiration for the the pretend actor that Michael J. White is meant to be playing in Black Dynamite. Mm. Because in the trailer for Black Dynamite, he, he was a linebacker, wasn't he? He's an American football yeah. player who's become an actor, which is the same with Jim Brown. And Jim uh-huh. Brown even has a very similar look, very similar vibe to Michael J. White in Black Dynamite. I think that's kind of the person he was probably modelling himself on. Whereas Isaac Hayes, I mean, not only does he look different, he's not as, like, strapping as some of these, no. like, guys. He looks far more schlubby. This is a guy who drinks a lot of beers and eats KFC sensually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, looks, he looks and sounds a lot more schlubby, a lot more like a regular kind of guy who is just a tough, Dude. Yeah, believable like, yeah. as that character. Like, yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, every man forced to do the I mean, Marvel he's sucking his gut in on the poster and he's making sure he's holding that fucking gun <laughs> right across his belly. Yeah. He's not yeah. silly. But that's the thing, in terms of he's believably a tough guy, mm. like, but in a, in a kind of real way. Like, but you yeah, imagine like, you um, can meet him. Reminds me of, like, all those chisel-jawed white dudes you'd see in the late 50s. He's a barrel-chested motherfucker. Like, yeah. you know, he's yeah, still, yeah, yeah. like, you know, he he's could He's not, like, scrappy. out of shape. He's, no, just, he's just literally, like, you believe he could do the stuff he's doing. He's a big guy and he's <clears> in shape. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in the film, but he's not kind of strapping in the same no. way some of these heroes kind of are. And just his whole thing, he's got a slobby kind of demeanour. Like, when he's introduced in the film, like, the first scene after getting the title sequence out of the way, tracks along his bedroom and kind of introduces his character with assorted items. So he's got an Otis Redding record, he's got a Bail Bonds calendar, and he's got loads of fast food wrappers. So he's a slob who sleeps with his gun. And he actually says, I ain't no slob. Like, yeah, at some point. 
And you're like, yeah, that's that's who this guy is. His cat. He hates his cat. Um, who is his girlfriend's cat who's looking mm-hmm. after because she's in prison. Played like, by Anna Zep Chase. Yeah, has pissed all over his last shirt. You fuck ass son of a bitch. <laughs> he, he, Richie has a right go. He's getting, yeah, because it's the whole thing. He's looking after his girlfriend's cat and he really resents this cat and like hates it. So it's really, really funny relationship they have. And yeah, he's... He's a bit off, off beat, a bit mm-hmm. off the wall, and I, I really like that. He's got like tons of unique character. He feels a bit sleepy, and I just, I just took to him so much. Like watch, it, especially rewatching this. He's got more of an everyman quality about him. Yeah, he's the everyman of black yeah. That's what he He's just this down his up bail bondsman guy and everything like that. He goes, he does his job, he gets his money, buys some beers. Hey. You know my name? I'm sorry I'm late, but I had to cash a check. Could have brought me some flowers. I got some beer. So, we just discovered that in his final decade, Yafet Koto voted for Trump twice. Oh, Yafet. And believed in QAnon conspiracies. Oh, oh no. Oh. Just as I'm sure we were all about to praise him. Is, for yeah, is, his I role. I didn't know any of this. And I've literally caught him in like two films oh. in the last 24 hours. So Yafet Koto, who is basically cancelled. the, I'd say the... I mean, he's, yeah, he's very cancelled <laughs> now. He got cancelled March last year. <laughs> he's essentially the co-lead bad guy in this alongside Nichelle. Yep. In terms of, because I think, I, I think they're both kind of equal. They're almost like... um. Uh, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy kind of pairing, yeah, yeah. aren't they? Kind of thing, like, you know, because they both they both get proper showdowns with Truck. Mm-hmm. Let's rewind then to the start because we get introduced to Truck. Uh, he, he's a slobby guy in his place. He has a adversarial relationship with his cat, and then the first thing we see him do is basically doing his bail bondsman job. Um, which he does with a guy he works with, who's played by Alan Weeks, a Jerry. guy called Jerry, who's he's got a very fun double act. He's so enthusiastic within yeah. that role as well. He's like, I'd love him as my co-pilot in life. He's well, fucking the scene, incredible. The scene early on where they go to the prison, they go to this prison to collect a, a child molester, and they have this conversation, they go into this office, and they're, they're like finishing each other's sentences aren't they I think like you know they are literally they're really really well oiled machine like working together they feel like a double act like you you almost Mm. feel like oh surely they've starred in films together before but they haven't and this starts this hilarious scene where basically they pick up this racist child molester um, who's obviously handcuffed and he keeps saying to Truck (laughs) that, you know, he said, you ain't so tough. Like, if I wasn't wearing these cuffs, like, I'd be, like, battering you. And Chuck just looks at him, and there is... Smash cut. One of the greatest (laughs) smash cuts in all of cinema, where it literally just cuts to him having uncuffed him, and he's just battering the shit out of this child molester scumbag. Going, like, just fucking... And he's, like, eventually, like, to the point where he's, like, begging for mercy. Just, like, Like, in a field uh, somewhere by the side of the road. It's, like... (laughs) <laughs> it's just I mean absolutely, I, I remember and I actually remember watching this film for the first time with you back in the day and when that 
smash cut and we just all died. died. Like, I think, like, it's just incredible. Because like, it, it's, think... it's such a genuine comedy beat. Yes. And, and it knows it is, clearly. And it's yeah. like, if you would just push it a little bit further to push it into Black Dynamite territory, all you'd need is that the previous shot, him to just slowly, like, raise his hands in the frame and, like, the cuffs are in his hand. He's like, what? Well, <laughs> that's oh, what I think is quite different to this film, to a lot of black exploitation films, is the sense of humour in this yeah. film feels very deliberate. Uh-huh. Like like that, that's a comedy beat. Like yeah. there's not it's not meant to be a, any other way. It's funny. And Isaac Hayes' character in this, the way he plays it, I, he does play it slightly comedically. Yeah, totally, yeah. And there's a lot of comedy throughout. Obviously there is there is stuff in it that I say is just ridiculous in that black exploitation way, but there's a lot of genuine but comedy. But he's not laced going for that it. machismo that we'd see in things like Superfly no. or Black Caesar. This is—he's not a self-serious character, motherfucker. He's Black Han Solo. Yes, that, yes, that kind of yes, vibe. Yes, you're right. He's, he's definitely got that, you know, and like him—that does make his his mate uh, Chewbacca. But like, <laughs> it, it definitely is that kind of vibe between them, and it's 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 so good to see. And he's so, yeah. I mean, you know, Isaac Hazenis is he is kind of like you know, kind of Harrison Fordish to a, in a to, to to a degree. In that, like, he is a leading man, but not in that um, he needs to be super buff and he's super serious about what he's doing. Leading man, he's a leading man that can like, you know. He can charm the ladies with KFC on one hand, <laughs> and he can beat up a pedophile with the other. Well, we find out he's an ex-quarterback in, yes. the, in the film, and actually that uh, Chuck Turner was his quarterback name. That was his mm-hmm. like nickname, essentially, because his actual name is Mac, isn't it? Like yeah. Mac Chuck Turner, because he actually said at one point, he said, tell him you just got hit by a truck. Mac Chuck Turner, and you you believe it? You believe he's kind of someone who was a star quarterback, someone, and now he's like a bit washed up. Yeah, like I say, he is a believable tough guy. I love his characterization. I'm kind of shocked that Isaac Hayes kind of it doesn't feel like he then starred in tons of black exploitation films no. afterwards. Like you say, no no sequels, and he does. There's so many moments where he does really great moments of action this like there's a bit where he kicks a guy for a fucking phone booth and of course because it's the 70s this is a real stunt guy mm. going for a fucking phone booth it's like something out of get Carter or something it's really hardcore and there's a hilarious <laughs> bit where there's a random white guy who sees this happen this guy. and like screams and drops a jug of water it's like call the cops and runs away well, that's that whole running joke of like what can we throw in front of a chase? Because in the car chase, there's like, I think there's like a guy with like a trolley full of bagels. He's like, my bagels! <laughs> and then there's like, uh, you know, you've basically got the, the two guys who have a pane of glass across the street kind of gag. And it knows it's a gag because it keeps doing it. And then with that white guy going down the street, yeah, he's just got like a glass uh, water cooler jug on his shoulder. And he just goes, what? Just drops it and it just smashes. It's like, they just wanted to smash something. Hey, do me a favor, call the cops. Cops, what do you want to call the cops? So, essentially, Dick Miller, famous character actor, uh, Dick Miller, you've seen in loads and loads of things, essentially is a guy who played Fogarty, uh, who's a bell bondsman after a pimp who skipped bail named Gator. And then Jerry and Truck go after Gator. They visit Dorinda, played by Nichelle Nichols, uh, who runs Gator's stable of sex workers. Truck and Jerry wait for Gator to visit and chase him, but Gator escapes. And then a tip from Truck's friend, Duke who's played by Scatman Carruthers, allows them to locate Gator again and kill Gator when he attempts to shoot Truck. 
back. And off the back of that, Dorinda takes over mm-hmm. the harem. They have the pimp funeral for Gator uh-huh. first, which is what introduces Yafet Koto as Blue, uh, who is a great arrival where he arrives at the funeral and spits on the grave, like directly to camera, saying, you know, he, you know what he thought of Gator. And Nichelle's Dorinda takes over, and she's very angry and powerful as this character. She's so good. It's yeah. so great yeah, seeing yeah, her yeah, in yeah. this, like, you know, in comparison to Uhura, of course. Mm. Oh, yeah, unrecognizable, I'd yeah. say. Unrecognizable. Yeah. Your ass belongs to me. I tell you what you can and can't do with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I didn't say I was leaving. Shut up! Now all you whores sit down, I want to talk to you. Anybody thinking about leaving here is going to find my left foot square up their ass. Do you understand it? What? Shut up, you junkie whore! I'm talking to you. And those two bitches that left, they better learn to sell pussy in Iceland because if I ever see them again, I'm going to cut their fucking throats. Be a family. And that's what we're going to stay. This is obviously like half a decade on from Star Trek the series and another half a decade until she gets back into the movies. But well, I should about say... five years and a human being just <laughs> shouldn't change that much. Well, I mean, this, these years. are the, the other roles I want to see from her and it's like, yeah, mm. just she doing more villainous stuff in the uh, like, 70s? In this, this era, this is when we get Shatner in, like, is it Kingdom of the Spiders he's yeah, in? Yeah, about 76. Yeah, well, we, we talked about Kingdom of the Spiders on Sun Double D. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, you know, Shatner ain't changing that much in five years. Like, it's no. still Oh, that's William Shatner. Yeah, no, I'm not saying she's changing. I'm saying in terms of the character she's playing. Because people just aged faster. Because it's like when we watch... But it's her potty mouth, Liam. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like... That's my note. It says very jarring seeing Ahura drop the N-word everywhere. And, yeah. Yes. And she... I should say that she was still playing Ahura at this time because 1974 the the other thing that she did this year because I always like to contextualise these in terms of the actor's career the other thing she was doing this year was starring in season 2 of Star Trek the Animated Series now I've got a how I'm going to put this not a complaint about Spotlight. Now you guys have oh, watched. Nice. You've in terms of animated stuff. Now what you know you've done in terms of the new stuff, especially yeah. you've watched season by season, right? And yet you've not gone back to the rich, rich wellspring that is the <laughs> the original animated series and watched all those. You don't go back to those parts. <laughs> What, I what, mean, what gives, boys? We've it, done the revisited it, it, episode. We've done the revisited episode. Uh-huh. So we have Sounds, done. Smells like a cop out to me. In terms of animated <laughs> series, I mean, what I should say is there's only about 20 fucking episodes. Then what's the your thing. fucking problem? Um, Get so, a wriggle on, Liam. <laughs> we, have, we have done. We enough. Did, we, yeah, enough. We did our original episode on the animated series, which was the pilot and uh-huh. the Emmy Award winning episode. The only Emmy Award winning episode of Star Trek, I believe, <laughs> from, from season two. We did an episode as part of our How the Trek Did This Get Made episode where we discussed some of the worst episodes of Trek. And we did our revisited episode which was another three episodes of the animated series so i think we've watched about six yeah well i can tell you for a fact i've watched nine episodes oh wow uh and not a single one since july 2019 (laughs) so like but you watched an entire season of a shit show with badgie in it oh but this is new stuff 
Well, <laughs> let, let, let me remind you that Matt enjoyed Badgie. But you didn't, I, 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 I did not. Well, season one, I did. I liked season two so, of Lion okay, X. Just, season I, one. I don't get the opportunity to do this. And this is like, this is just a, just a one question interview with regards to what you've covered so far with this. But like, um, taking what you've seen of the animated series, like the OG animated series, and then what you saw of that first season of that god awful animated show um um which did you prefer oh the animated series in, in terms of versus season one of lower decks yeah season two i would say is a lot better and i enjoy season two a lot more and prodigy the other animated show that's out now is better than either of them mm-hmm. that's very yeah. good but season one of Lower Decks can go to hell. But oh. mainly because of Badgie. It's not and, down uh, there with Picard season two, as uh, as Paul, uh, Paul puts it, as worst season of Trek I, ever. I don't think I hated Picard season two as much as I hated some elements. I mean, I d- you and me were the defenders one. in a way. Yeah. In a way. In a way. In a way. I think this all comes down to Badgie. He's <laughs> scum. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Nichelle's Dorinda takes over oh. and... Uh, she invites all of the pimps around and basically makes them the offer that, yeah, if they kill Truck for her get revenge, she will basically let them have all of the girls, all the sex workers who work for her. I want that bastard Truck Turner and I want him dead. The man who kills him gets my broads and I'll run the stable. Now talk to me. Well, how much, lady? Half. 50%. It's done. At first, the guys are a bit like, nah. (laughs) But then eventually they kind of come around. In the meantime, Chuck's girlfriend has been released from prison. And when he... He's basically in the doghouse because he only visited her while she was in prison six times. And she's really, really angry about that. And he tries to make it up to her by like turning up to collect her. And he hasn't even got her flowers. She said, could get me some flowers. And he just suddenly produces like a six pack and goes, I got some beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's amazing. And then they get back to his place. And immediately this song comes on, Isaac Hayson, which is like the love theme mm-hmm. of the film, which I definitely think they parody in Black Dynamite at mm. some point. And it's basically him seducing her. And what's amazing is he bought her some fried chicken. And oh. when he brings it in, the cat has its eyes on the fried chicken like, straight <laughs> away. And what's really funny is when they start like getting on and fucking, like eventually, the cat looks really embarrassed. Just like, <laughs> oh, no. like oh my god. Uh, yeah, I mean that's great because he literally, she's really funny. Um, yeah. His girlfriend in it because he is clearly like just a shit boyfriend. Like, uh, and she really kind of like has a go, but you know, she's an interesting character, yeah, because she's been in prison and everything like that. She's a messy girl, yeah, 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 but she's tough, like, kind of like you know, uh, very much like her own person. I kind of like their relationship in it, it kind of speaks to a history that they probably have that you can kind of put two and two together in that, like. If he's a bail bondsman and she's a fucking kleptomaniac, you kind of get the idea that maybe they met on the job. 
And I like mm-hmm. that. I like that there is this kind of richness to their, their relationship. That She's not just some stay-at-home side piece like a lot of women are in exploitation films. And she's not like the the dutiful wife that's at home mm. and she's kind of pissed off and miserable with it. She's it's like when she's not on frame, she doesn't exist. No, no, totally. No, but here she's just like, yeah, she, she's just come out of prison. And, you know, she likes a fried chicken and a beer. And she's, she's pissed off with the guy, as, as any woman would be. Like, you know, you visit me six times. That's fucked up. Yeah, this film is so fucking lean and mean that I, I mm. wouldn't say there's any fat on this movie at no. all. Like, literally, because once things kick off, it escalates really, really fast. The pimps all go after truck. And there's kind of like a double whammy of they kill his partner Jerry, Jerry. Mm. Um, one hell of a shotgun R.I.P.J. Shot. Yeah. yeah I mean that oh, is damn. amazing when, when they shoot him with like like a double barrel shotgun or something don't they and he goes fucking flying to the point where when they shoot him and he goes flying I was like there's got to be a dummy because he yeah, literally yeah, goes yeah. Like, like across the fucking floor yeah. like yeah it's so so hardcore and then also they kill the beloved cat. Mm-hmm. They do. You fuck ass piece of shit. They kill the cat. Like and they come back and it's a very uh very straw dogs like mm. uh, where they string the cat up, which is really <laughs> horrible. It's genuinely quite upsetting. Yeah. And same the, same year as Straw Dogs? Uh no. This no. is this is three years after Straw Straw Dogs seventy one, I think. All oh, right. Um, I was gonna but, say the year of string up cats, perhaps. But it's really I, I think it is quite upsetting when this happens. And well, it, I'm surprised you've let this film off at this point. Well, I, I think what's great about it is it's actually taken really seriously. Mm. Like, to yeah. observe, his girlfriend is absolutely devastated. She's really upset and angry and everything like that. And so is Truck. And so is Truck. Despite, obviously, Jerry has died as well. But he is, he's, he's fucking pissed off. And it is taken seriously. And after these two deaths have piled up, there has this great moment where it gets really serious. And Truck, like, has this moment where he says, they owe me, and I'm gonna collect. Like, yeah, in a really kind of like, yeah, and he's gonna fucking go after them for revenge. It's fucking awesome. But before this, there's still a bit of comedy because he needs to protect his girlfriend. He doesn't want her to get hurt. Look, we, we, the amount of movies that we see where, like, and it's, it's the cliche, you know, that, that kind of horrible, very rote trope is the idea of just like, uh, no, you got to protect you. You got to stay out of this. I can't stay out of this track. I mean, that's how it would have been in another film. Mm-hmm. And in this, this one, he basically goes to the, the point of getting her fucking arrested for thievery again because he, he orchestrates protection. it for her own protection. Yeah. She yeah. ends up in prison protect to protect her. Yeah. Like, did Batman ever do that? <laughs> I think not. Well, like you said, it's a hilarious move because in most films this era, it would have been like, no, I've got protect- probably like slap her out or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, for her own good. Go stay at your mom's. Whereas here, he actually knows she's way too volatile and way too... He, he can't argue with her. He's like, I've got a you know, I basically can't reason with her. Yeah. Like, literally, this is the only way. It's yeah. a real move from an interesting character. Like you say, it's not just like slapping somebody out and being like, ah, oh, whatever, we don't need to think about it. It's like, you know, take it into consideration and going like, no, this is what's best for her right now. And they've had such this rocky relationship through everything that's been going on. And he's having to make it rockier for her own good. Yes. And to the yes. point where you really hope that 
she's going to understand what he's done and they'll make up again. And luckily they do by the very end. Yeah, because she gets out at the end, doesn't she? It's actually really sweet because at the end he's got her a little kitten mm. to kind of like replace the uh, cat, which is very, very sweet. So we're building up to the big finale now. So it's all going to be a huge uh, showdown at the hospital. This is actually soundtracked by amazing track on the soundtrack called Hospital Shootout, which is absolutely incredible. many fucking cool close-up shots in this movie of Chuck and his massive hand cannon. Like, yeah, literally he's got this huge gun and there's so many cool shots of him with this gun. Because, like I say, the cinematography can work in this really fucking cool. Same director of photography as Silent Running, the uh, Bill Trumbull film. Uh That DOP did additional photography on a little film called Star Trek The Motion Picture. And the camera operator is a guy called uh, Ronald M. Vargas, uh, who was the camera on Tron as well. So literally, yeah, I think it's really dynamic, really well shot. The action in this is, is fantastic. So he basically gets down to the big showdown. There's loads of... Loads of great stuff leading up to this. There's a bit where he, like, double taps a guy who's already shot and he's got his face down in the fucking water and, like, truck just fucking <laughs> shoots him again. That's fucking awesome. And then there's this massive hospital shootout. definitely causes so much collateral deaths and injuries i would say it causes more mayhem and damage than the uh, michael myers hospital attack in halloween <laughs> 2 something like a hospital is like sacred ground like you're not gonna have a shootout in a hospital right that's where people go after a shootout and this film's just like nah nah all of those rules are out the way it's like um i don't know if you guys have seen like the highlander sequels the idea of like they don't ever fight on hallowed ground and then in one of them they do it's just like it's that that vibe again it's like there's reasons why these rules exist you know it's kind of bad form to be like shooting where there's fucking nurses everywhere like the continental in john wick yeah totally and this film there's like nah nah fuck it you know you're all you're all yeah there's a child who's held hostage at one point who looks justifiably terrified. <laughs> like they actually look like they've just randomly kidnapped just a grabbed a child. Kid. There's guys on crutches and wheelchairs who go fucking flying oh. as uh, it's it's truck and Yafetko chasing each other through yeah. this hospital. And so the sort of film that captures this kind of mayhem in a place like a hospital and kind of plays it straight but kind of has a weird comedy edge. It's something like Crank. <laughs> like because there's a lot of like hospital mayhem in the crank yeah. films to save them it's like this is ridiculous enough that it can get away with it while still being on that line of like it's a fun action film but it's also pretty funny that's where he goes to visit someone hospital and gives them a gun and then they're yeah, shooting visiting, from yeah. their bed he's, he's, at one point yeah he's visiting Nate Nate Dimwitty Dimwitty that is a surname yeah, so Chuck's visiting him in the hospital and Chuck gives Nate Jerry's gun for protection. Yes, because there's a great shot where he, he's leaning over in his bed, like yeah, firing off his, his hand cannon. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, fucking Goes full good. spaghetti western, it's great. So basically, he chases uh, Yafat Koto. Uh, and what I love is he shoots Yafat Koto in the back. 
Mm-hmm. Like no fucking about, and that's why I like Tony's like realism. He doesn't give a fuck. Yafiko like, playing uh, his pimp name is Harvard Blue. Only we don't, we never get his real name in this. No, no. no. Harvard Blue. Uh, Koyo gets a great death because he after yep. he shoots him, he kind of like wanders over to his car and he's full on like tripping out, mm. and it kind of truck just kind of stalks him like behind him, like just like I'm ready to kind of take you out if yeah. you like do but I'm just gonna let you fucking die. Yeah, it's fucking badass. And by this point, Chuck's got his top off, hasn't he? With like his just his <laughs> gun strap on and stuff like that. He does look fucking cool. And then he goes and hunts down Dorenda, uh, Nichelle, and takes her out as well. Again, gets a great death. He gives Dorinda the choice to walk away, yeah. and she does not take it. She's no. like, "Fuck you, Chuck." And, this like, is Shakespearean. Like she, she, like he killed her man. Yeah, he yeah. sets all of the, all of these other generals against him. And then, you know, like, fucking Truck Turner's just like, look, you can go, just go your own way, peace be with you, bitch. And she pulls out her own fucking hand cannon, and he goes, kablam! And it's fucking great. It's so goddamn good. It's this, so this good. This movie fucking I rocks. always struggle with films that, uh, again, especially, obviously, where women are lesser, but, like, it's always, like, the action films in which... Well, the 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 lady's got to fight the baddie lady. If you got female antagonist, she's never going one on one with the with the protagonist. And I'm just like, I, I I really like a film that doesn't that that doesn't yeah, yeah. bother with that. Like, and this is like, fuck it, you know, you set this bullshit emotion, and to see her get hers is is actually like, yeah. Really interesting. I've we got, don't see that very often. I've got a pull quote here from Florida Project director Sean Baker himself, who is quite a presence on Letterbox. In his Letterbox review, he says, Nichelle Nichols doesn't get the praise she deserves for her performance in this film. The scene where she presents her girls to Yafet's crew is one of my favourite scenes ever. That's not hyperbole. Fart knocks him, pussy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a version of this film, isn't there, where Chuck's girlfriend doesn't go back to prison and she has a showdown with Dorinda while he's having the showdown with Blue. Mm. Like, there's definitely a version of this film with that and I'm glad they didn't go that way because he's got this double punch of him going after both of them, just taking them one out by another. And she's kind of like raging against the dying light in the show in this film she's just like so angry and full of rage and just really because she's I, I swear she doesn't smile once you feel you feel that incandescent rage in how she talks to those women that work for her all those sex workers her like her nature she's so venomous in in her words to them she's just emotionally abusing those women in there and you can get the feeling that's just like that's how she runs her stable she's dangerous you get the feeling that at some point or other, she's, she's definitely shanked some women. Like, she's <laughs> fucked she up. She seems more hardcore than Gator himself. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. you know, he seemed more like a lover than a fighter, I think. Yeah, it kind of feels like she's had to be this way mm. to get the respect she has and keep everyone in line yeah. as a female pimp. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she's excellent. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the film, basically... It's fucking wicked. It ends um, with the, the, you know, the untimely passing of Nichelle Nichols, which is unfortunately something that we've had to suffer through in the year of our Lord 2022. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we should say we decided to do Chuck Turner as sort of a tribute to Nichelle, uh, who unfortunately passed away this year. Uh, very sad. I mean, uh, an absolute icon 
Um, yeah, she died back in July. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we were originally going to record this in August because it seemed like the right time um, after she sadly passed away. And uh, like I said, I, I think icon is is not too big a word for who Nichelle Nichols no, was. Uh, I think literally one of the... You know, really, Massive inspiration. Yeah, one of the first really famous black actresses on TV, mm-hmm. certainly. Um, yeah, famously, there was that great anecdote that she would often tell about how she was thinking of quitting Star Trek because, you know, she didn't get, like, loads of lines or kind of, like, storylines. Wouldn't have been the first woman on Star Trek to have quit as well for Mm -hmm. that very reason, yeah. And uh, she was at some kind of party with Martin Luther King, and Martin Luther King said, no, you can't. You can't. You don't realise what an inspiration you are to young black girls everywhere and how important, like, what you're doing Mm. is... And she turned around to Gene Roddenberry, told him that, and that's why she wasn't going to quit. And apparently Roddenberry burst into tears and was like, this is exactly why I'm doing this. Because his utopian vision was incredibly forward-thinking and progressive. And as much as Gene definitely had his uh, issues and his in representation of uh, women over the years in his kind of projects, uh, you know, can't be denied that uh, with the original series, he was very forward-thinking mm. in terms of what he was putting on screen. So, yeah, I mean, she was incredible. And I think it's kind of slightly sad for us because um, I will say that we almost had Nichelle on this podcast at one point. Uh, I was in contact... With either her manager or her agent at one point by email, and we were getting to the point of basically trial lockdown dates. And uh, then there was lots of stories in the press about her being very unwell. Yeah. Um, and I just basically, like, when we were trial lockdown a date, because literally they, they got to points of, like, asking asking me for potential dates we could record. And I sent an email back, and I hadn't heard anything about it in a little while, and I saw these stories, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to start hassling, kind of no. thing, everything like that. It's lovely that we got to a point where, because I think they'd listened to uh, either her manager or maybe even Michelle, so listened to some episodes or other interviews we'd hmm. done, and was kind of like getting to the point where she'd be happy to come on. And then, you know, I was just like, I yeah, I don't want to kind of bother her, and it doesn't sound like she's in a, you know, potentially a fit state to have a kind of in-depth no. interview on the show. And so it just kind of slipped away. And... As much as I'm sad that we never got to speak to her, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have liked to have put any kind of undue pressure on her or anything like that, or kind of, you know, added to her illness or anything like that. So literally, it's just the way it was. But yeah, kind of a sad thing that we were never able to speak to her because mm. I'm sure it would have been incredible to uh, chat to her. And uh, I'm sure we would have brought this film up as well. Definitely would have had to. I mean, looking at her filmography now, it's like. Pretty much the only thing she does in the 70s film-wise until motion picture. Yeah, I mean, I know for a fact that she she did struggle for work in that time. It seems insane, doesn't it? It does. It it, it seems mad. It seems mad because even, like you said, I I realised the whole whole point of that exploitation genre was that a lot of black actors were underrepresented in Hollywood film. And how she didn't start getting her own Pam Greer leading style. Well, exactly. This is the thing, because it's that thing of going, yes, they were, but 
you would have thought she would at least appeared in more black exploitation films yeah. or something like that yeah. because um this is it i know with the animated series originally there was quite a lot of actors and stuff who wouldn't appear in the show because they would try to keep the budget very tight yeah um so they weren't gonna have walter coning and they weren't gonna have nichelle nichols and i think it was nimoy who went to bat for Nichelle Nichols and say like no she should be she should be in it because apparently when she heard she wasn't going to be invited back apparently she was like in floods of tears really upset and everything Oof. like that and eventually they kind of fought to get her back on the show and Walt Coning wasn't back but he did write an episode right uh, so I think I think maybe, you know, she was struggling um, at that time. And the convention circuit, which became a big money maker for all these actors, probably yeah, wasn't down operating road. as much. So I think when those movies came along, it was it was a big thing for a lot of those guys, you know? It's sad because I think we missed out on a whole nother section of her career. In the 70s, with her playing more roles like this, or like you say, she could have been a Pam Greer-style lead yeah. in movies, 100%. You can imagine her as a, a female heroine, exploitation character, can't yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, the entirety of her work in the 70s, I can tell you right now, it's one episode of something called Insight in 1970. Her main role is her on the animated series doing the voices. Then uh, Truck Turner on the Motion Picture, that's it. For the entire decade. It's insane. I mean, that this criminal, isn't it? It's criminal she wasn't utilised more. I think she's got such fire in this. There's actually a, a scene where she's kind of backlit by flames. And I, I think she could have done loads more. So, yeah, rest in peace, Michelle. Uh, you were an absolute icon. And uh, we'll remember you very fondly. And I'm sure we'll be chatting more about other work mm -hmm. uh, that you did over the years on the show in Star Trek. And hopefully... Uh, maybe other places as well at some point but for now final thoughts on truck turner daryl yeah i mean it's up there for me i was just looking at a list of like it's over 160 or i think uh black exploitation and black exploitation adjacent films and i've seen a paltry 29 of which i put i'd put truck turner in that top five I really, really dig this film. I only caught it for the first time this year, and I've seen it. I saw it twice in like three or four months in like quick succession. I'm more than happy to watch it again sometime <laughs> yeah. before the year is out. Christmas of Truck. It's such a tone to it that it's such a hard thing to kind of to to really hit in terms of it being you know it's a serious film, but it has this beautiful humour to it. And in terms of it's not a parody, it's not attempting to parody, you know, this this fledgling subgenre. And you give a shit about the protagonist. You kind of care about the antagonist too. Their whole plotting and reasoning for it, you just go, no, I get this. I totally understand. Look, I don't agree with you, but, you know, you clearly were in love with Gator. And so, you know, you, you know, your love has made you do something fucking mental. And I totally understand, Nichelle. Uh, sorry, Dorinda. And and I, I dig that. It really, you know, I, it really does irk me that we never got sequels to, to this. I could have I could have heard more of Isaac Hayes singing about Truck and his <laughs> many adventures as he vanishes into onto the highway with his uh, Truck with his Turner's girlfriend. road trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I should say, uh, funnily enough, there is a comic book writer called David F. Walker who is very much a, a writer on the Black Exploitation 
genre. He wrote a, I think, well, he I think he's writing a proper book um, in terms of black exploitation. But he used to write a kind of fanzine about black exploitation, and he has written lots and lots of comic books. A very successful black comic book writer, and one of the things he wrote was a Shaft comic book from Dynamite Comics, I think it was. Uh, Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did two Shaft miniseries, and the first one is a sort of Shaft year one, like origin of Shaft. Oh, wow. um, is that and, Batman? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's really good. It's really, really strong. And I've got all six issues of that. The second series he wrote, I don't think I read all of, but the second series is more just a Shaft adventure. But right. the first series is is great. And it is like, yeah, this really cool origin of Shaft, really well drawn as well. And what he did, I've got the individual issues. In the back of each individual issue, he crafts like a exploitation soundtrack for the issue wow. for you to listen to while you're reading, and so like, which is really really cool. He's very much a, a aficionado of the genre, and I remember when the first issue came out, I was really really enjoyed it. I uh, I think I tweeted him or whatever and went like, oh, this is like awesome. I'm hoping you're gonna start a whole line of black exploitation comics. I want Chuck Turner and Superfly comics, and he did like that at the time. So I think if he'd got the chance, yeah, I think maybe he would have done a Chuck Turner comic, which would have been great. What's your star rating for this, Daryl? I give this four. I really, I really, really dig this. In my heart, it's a five, but you know, this is a four-star film. I, re- I really dig it as a as a um, great example of the genre. This is right up there for me. Uh, I put this over and above a lot of the better-known ones as well. I think again, in terms of it, you know, it being able to hit its tone very well. The it's shot, you know, beautifully. I love this. I love the soundtrack. I think Isaac Hayes is great. And, you know, and they justifiably murk all those fools that kill that cat. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. Four stars <laughs> for Chuck Turner. I would say, to be honest, having seen about two dozen black exploitation films, this is my favorite black exploitation film. If we're not, Damn. If, if we're not counting Black Dynamite... Dynamite. Which, which, you know, I think it is a Black Swedish film, but it is a spoof. I think you have to set it slightly aside. In terms of proper Black Swedish 70s movie, it's my favourite. There's lots of Black Swedish films I really love. Ones in particular would be Across 110th Street. Yep. Trick Baby, uh, which is a really cool con man movie. Free the Hard Way, like I say, I've got 15 minutes to go, but it is fucking awesome. So I would recommend that. Uh, Trouble Man is wicked. Uh, Superfly is, is really, really interesting as well. You know, th- there's a bunch that are really, really good fun. I mean, a lot of these are really good fun, even if they're not, like, great movies. Have like, you seen Welcome Home, Brother Charles? No. My God, watch that fucking film. It's incredible. incredible. I will add it yeah. to the list. It's a student film. Oh, wow. But... And and the the the, the main guy Marlo uh, Marlo Monty didn't act in anything else, but he's fucking incredible in it. And it's one of these. It's like lightning. It just appears, and you're just like, what the fuck? And then I kept looking up, like, oh, who's in the? Oh no, you've never been in anything either. Oh, and you've never been in anything. It's so <laughs> fucking good. 1975 film uh, from Jamar Fanaka. 
It is fucking brilliant. They realise they could not top themselves. And like, Honestly, That's it. it's Mike so out. good. Amazing. I love this because, like Matt said, like spaghetti westerns with Black Association, just as you think you've seen them all, like uh-huh. more, yeah. more <laughs> pop up. I mean, there's loads on my watch list already that I want to see. But yeah, I'm always looking forward to seeing more. I, I just love the vibe. It's, it's so good. And Chuck Turner, yeah, like I say, I think it's my favourite. I think it's unique in terms of that real blend of proper comedy and hard-boiled crime drama and the soundtrack is is wicked Mm. it's just Mm. great it's just what this for me exemplifies all the best things about the genre yeah four stars matt yeah i mean i'm with you guys this is you know the strongest of strong four stars uh i think it's great it's it's everything we want it to be where it's really fun you know it's not overly taxing it's like it's fun it's funny it's got great action it's got great performances great characters it's tight as hell i think it's a great entry point to the genre for anyone who hasn't seen any before and it's hard to kind of top in its simplicity it's kind of makes it pure in a way and i think there are obviously i haven't seen as many other ones as you guys overall but i think there are obviously ones that can take more uh specific deep dives into different kind of stories and different areas of like america and cities and and sub stories but this one as a very simple kind of you know bit of gang warfare and you know this this lone bell bondsman lead from hayes uh, it's great and you know we get a lot of these kind of centered around this male central figure and they kind of range from your bounty hunters and your cops and your detectives and uh, i think this is a really interesting one where he kind of flirts around in the middle and his every manness in a way, if you can call some like Isaac Hayes and every man, it in really terms that you've already up. had like um, like an Academy Award winning uh, song, and yeah, like two albums, and yeah, yeah. But he still manages to feel like a man of the people, and it's like, yeah, this could be my Bill Bondsman down the street, and it's yeah. like this isn't like Will Smith turning up as this like movie star kind oh, of guy. Oh God, yeah, you're right. Despite yeah. Isaac Hayes being, as you say, an Oscar winner by this you point, know, you know what the vibes I get from Isaac Hayes? You know, the, let's say the modern equivalent in 90, the 1990s modern equivalent would have been, um, oh God. That's gonna kill me. The name uh, played Luther Stickle in Mission. Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. Yes. Oh, Ving totally. Rhames. One hundred percent. Only Ving Rhames could play Chuck Turner in a remake. One hundred percent. Yeah. You should do that now. Yeah. Straight yeah. up, I'd watch the shit out of that. Yeah. 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 I mean, you could do that, but I've, I certainly think Ving Rhames kind of yeah early noughties era or something really done it. I should say that for people who want to check out Truck Turner, if you've never seen any exploitation films or anything like that, this is a great place to start. It is available on uh streaming to rent from Prime Video and Apple in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um and it is available on DVD and blu-ray in the uk i've got it on dvd and it is also been released by 101 films which is one of the great boutique blu-ray companies and so there is a nice blu-ray of it out Mm -hmm. there i will say i've got one more surprise for you liam i shall retrieve it from next door oh wow Uh, i hope it's not kfc and a a kitten (laughs) perhaps it fart knocks him pussy I want that the as your ringtone now. <laughs> like, whenever Matt messages you, I want that as they the They call her Colonel Sanders because she's a finger-looking good. So, behind the curtain, we are recording this, what, three, four days before Christmas? So, this series is your Christmas present. Oh, wow. And you may as well open it now because it ties in. And this wasn't planned because I've got this for you back in August. So... 
post us originally planning on recording this episode, but still, I picked this up wow, from, okay, okay. from the merch desk at Fright Fest. Oh, Jesus. Right, okay. And uh, kept hold of it all this time. Wow, I, mean, I was very this proud of made me look bad as I have a present for Matt as well for Christmas, but I have not even wrapped it. Okay, so we've got a card. We've got a card. Oh, I mean, this this isn't as connected, but it is to the podcast. Oh well, it's not another badgie. It's card. not badgie. Badgie. Hey, but it is. So this is a card, listeners, uh, which has got the Enterprise on it. This is TNG Enterprise, I believe, and it says "Make it snow" on it, and it's got two board cubes uh, either side. You may recall I did I, I did send you a photo of a badgie, an official badgie card a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, well this is funny because you actually made a I badgie did. card for one of my birthdays and then a real one got released, bizarrely, so thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. Much, much appreciated. Let's see, now I will open this and then I'm going to take this wrapping paper <laughs> and r- wrap it round <laughs> my head to you <laughs> so you can see that as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Holy shit. I, I did not even know of this existence. Okay. So, this is a hardback coffee table book called Black Exploitation Cinema The Essential Reference Guide by Hazar Howard. This is a ma- I did, didn't even know this existed. Because otherwise, re- I would have bought it already. There, there's a really great merch table at Fright Fest every year that's full of these kind of like uh, reference books, and there's spaghetti western ones, and there's horror ones, obviously. And Holy and this shit. one's I see it there every year, and I'm just like, actually, this is super in depth. This is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like this is a proper old school film reference guide like we used to have before you had the internet it's got like a whole section of posters here there's definitely some Chuck Turner stuff in there Chuck Turner see what we've got about uh, Chuck Turner Uh, oh wow there's loads of Chuck Turner references in here too many even but that's a good sign yeah if we go 37 let's see oh so there's a whole Q&A with Jonathan Kaplan, the oh, wow. director of Chuck Turner. So they say, Isaac Hayes seems like an odd choice for lead in the film. He said, at the time, Ike had made an incredible splash with the Shaft soundtrack album, along with his fantastic score. Everyone remembered his sensational performance of the song on the Academy Awards show. So AIP thought that they could exploit his popularity and make him an actor. I assume that, I assume that they'd be like, will get him because he's the guy who yeah. did Shaft like yeah what they really wanted was for him to do the film's music he wanted to do some acting so <laughs> they threw the acting in to sweeten the deal there you go that's such a weird like we want you to do the music yeah I want, I want to act in it okay we'll give you the lead what? <laughs> yeah. Like you'd give Yafet the Koto the lead surely yeah. right that's how you, that would work you'd give him the, you'd, you'd give him the he's like but I want to sing about me and if I'm just showing up for a scene it would seem weird yeah there's <laughs> some really interesting stuff in there this is fantastic thank you very much Matt mm. that is a brilliant gift but I mean that is going to be a letterbox list in itself amazing so, like that's what we used to do kids before <laughs> we had the internet and letterbox we used to buy things called books. Yeah. And in these books would be films. film guide or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yes. oh, oh, baby. We know all about the Halliwell's film guide on this podcast. Let me tell you that. See, what I really want is Jerry Halliwell's film guide. <laughs> <laughs> I'd read the shit out of that. No one wants that. <laughs> Get rid of the new one. Daryl, I would say tell us about 
your podcasts that you have. Of course, I've done this so many times. Of course, they are also <laughs> they are of course they are also Matt's podcasts. They are. So he does well all the time. But you do both host two other podcasts: Sun Double Deep and Is Paul Dano Okay? What is going on with them? This will be going out either later this month or in January. All right. So in January on Sun Double Deep, long time co-host occasional now presenter Jeanette my wife will be I think deciding what we're going to watch for her birthday pick but I don't know if she'll be on the episode (laughs) because she's kind of like you know now she's a relatively new mum of a year she's just like oh you know I'll flit in and out so we've got whatever episode will be a couple of our like mini-sodes for that month will be one of them will be just us looking ahead at 2023 Mm -hmm. and what amazing films coming out in the year that we're looking forward to and another episode will be um, the start of Matt and I's winter. Um, <laughs> Speaking of like genre seasons, yeah, you know. season. So well, over the summer we did something that we called White Guy Karate Summer, where we watched an, a lot, a close lot, close to thirty, close to well, thirty, 30 films, lots of awful films, lots yeah. of lots of films in which um, very greasy ponytailed white guys <laughs> um, roundhouse kicked people in the face. Very just, well, but very say, well, incredible, words, impeccable, impeccable kicking, <laughs> but in just shit films from from the eighties and nineties. And uh, we were like, how do we, what, how do we go into the winter with that? What's the palate cleanse? I, so I got the Criterion Zatoichi box set. Um, oh Christ, was it last Christmas? Maybe there's a Wham song in there somewhere. And uh, and I only watched nine of them, so I've decided to dial it right the way back to the to start because Matt hasn't seen any of them. And we're just gonna do them all. It's twenty six films in the box set, and so it's called um, Blind Guy Blind, Samurai Winter. Blind Guy Samurai Winter. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> of course, you have a long history with that franchise, Matthew. Yes. Well, this is it. The only one I had seen, of course, was the two thousand four remake from uh, Takashi Kitano, which I saw with you, yeah. Liam, in, in uh, uh, Southampton. Quadruple Bill Day. In uh, yeah, which I think at the time was my first ever seeing four films at cinema in one day. Day. What other films did you guys do? Uh, we did Straw Dogs. <laughs> sure, <laughs> like of course nine, you did. Nine a.m. That was the purpose of the college film trip. Then we stayed on, did Satoichi, and then Twenty One Grams and Open Range. Well, I mean, you've messed up the order. I have. So it was Straw Dogs in the morning, which was the cinema film trip, which was Straw Dogs and a talk from someone for the BBC, BBFC because it had recently just because been, it had been recently been yeah, yeah. unbanned. Yeah. Uh, of course, it, but this was like my third time watching because we watched it. Um, we watched it as part of the shocking cinema season when it was still banned. Yeah. With uh, <laughs> with Martin, where That's like probably why. Into hot water with that entire endeavor, yeah. As part of the film <laughs> studies kind of group, because your educational purposes, you could watch all these banned films, yeah. So, you did a season called Shocking Cinema, and that was one of them. That's when I fell in love with uh, the original Straw Dogs, exposing my... many under 18s to some <clears throat> rough, irreversible, rough yeah, yeah. Salo, Jesus. yeah, um, yeah, just a bunch of uh, students uh, watching Salo at 17. Uh, but Straw Dogs 1971, Sam Pack and Par did become one of my favorite films of all time. So I bought it on DVD as soon as it was released from the archives, and then we saw it at the screening. And then, yeah, we went to see Open Range, <laughs> uh, yeah, they quit then nap. 
21 grams and uh, Satoshi or Zatoichi. Zatoichi, you ended the night with Zatoichi. That's yeah, great. Fell, fell asleep in all of the films apart from <laughs> Straw Dogs. And uh, yeah, it was a good I think a you were just off in Straw Dogs because that was the Was there morning. a gas leak? <laughs> what the you, fuck? you were just not used to getting up that early, I, I think. think. I think I was just, I had, we had to get up so yeah. early to get the train to, to from Southampton. Southampton. I was just like, fuck this. Oh, damn. Yeah, so Straw Dogs kind of sucked your energy a bit, and then Open Range, you fell full asleep, and that film has the loudest gunshot you sound effects of all time. You fell into the suck zone. <laughs> he just sat yeah. bolt upright with the uh, Costner blasting away, and then uh, yeah, maybe Zatoichi dozed a little bit, and then I think we ended with twenty one grams, didn't we? Because we ran from one to the other right at the end because they were programmed very close together. I'm not sure, but I definitely <laughs> drifted in twenty one yeah. grams, like at some point. <laughs> I stayed up later for the sliced alone all night. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm a healthier person now. I, <laughs> oh, I so, so, that's the thing. I think I just wasn't like most teenagers. I just wasn't very healthy. In those just days, a teenage uh, dirtbag. Yes, yeah, so I think. You, did, <laughs> you, did you not have that thing in like when you were a teenager where you just crash at one point in the afternoon and need a nap? Kind of thing, like, yeah, actually, like, yeah. I am nearly 40, sir. I need these now. <laughs> I mean, you do have the excuse of having a uh, uh, young baby. And what's going on with. Is, yes, Liam, the excuse. <laughs> <laughs> and what's going on with. Is Paul Dano okay? So, or is it. Is Judy Greer's okay? Well, we, or we've, someone else okay? We've got a couple. So we did uh, a mini season called Greer's, looking at a select few films focused on Judy Greer as another sort of character actor who fits into that sort of Paul Dano mold who's too big to come on our podcast yeah it's too busy all of a sudden mm-hmm. judy oh did you get a uh well i've had a few or... no's from her people but too busy i think that's her people like jonathan frakes <laughs> how dare we, 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 we invite jonathan frakes onto this podcast and we're told by his people that he was far too busy <laughs> this like, was before no. this was before he was far all, too busy. all of the star trek shows came back and he started directing for them because at the time it was like is he though? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at time of recording, we've still got to catch up on the bonus uh, episode on Greer's, uh, mainly because Jeanette is the guest for that. And as previously established, she's very busy. Uh, she ain't got time for that. Uh, but we have we have got in the bank the uh, sort of season wrap-up episodes. That'll be able to come out quite quickly after that. And then, yeah, we're returning to Dano in the new year uh, for what is going to be season six of the show overall, where we're going to catch up with the remaining films of his we haven't covered. So it's a truncated season, but there might be yeah. a Hot Ones in there at some point as well now. <laughs> his like, Hot Ones episode. And, and his, his uh, in, you know, he did the the Actors on Actors with Brian yes, Tyree Henry as well. we talk about both of them in one. That'd be good. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's an episode yeah, right there. That, yeah. So that mini season in itself is... Um, Mostly centered around the UK release, the, the Fablemans. Yeah, I was about to say, basically all his shit films plus Fablemans. Yeah, uh, well, I don't, we don't know. The newcomers, the his newcomers. first film might be great. Yeah, and we've got. Hey, uh, we should see if we can get Chris Evans on that episode <laughs> or Kate Bosworth. Do you reckon they've ever been asked about the newcomers? I I guarantee you, he's never been asked about the newcomers. <laughs> like Chris, we love you in. The newcomers. So the yeah. picture of him on that box art where he looks like he's doing an incredibly difficult poo whilst also doing an incredibly difficult Sudoku at the same time. It sounds time. like he's in that film for less of a time than even Dano is. So Yeah. Because it was one of his earliest. 2000. So film. we might be able to get Kate Bosworth on. Anyway. Yeah, we'll go for one fun. of them. We'll go for yeah. we'll go for Kate Bosworth. And then following that, we will return in the future with another character actor mini season. Mm. Amazing. It's all to play uh, for. So can't wait to hear all of that. Uh, we will be back with another episode. Uh, not sure what we'll be doing next. We really 
We need to get to Star Trek Discovery Season 4, folks. Yeah, we, we got to done. So we got to pull know, that band-aid off, haven't we? need to buckle down. We've got fucking Discovery Season 4, Strange New Season 1, Lodex Season 3. Like, so we really need to bang through these fucking things. Picard like, Season 3, embarrassment of, Season 2. I say riches, but it's just an embarrassment. <laughs> embarrassment of stuff. I mean, yeah. literally, we've uh, got to buckle down and yeah. get to Strange New Worlds, which is meant to be genuine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that's Content. it. We, we joke, but I'm genuinely hyped for Strange New yeah. Worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. You've got to make it through. Yeah, more. and Lower Decks 3. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. What about Discovery Season 4? I I haven't seen any of it yet. So, yeah, I'm. Okay, it, well, it, it can impress me. Maybe it won't. Okay, yeah, you might, you might but be I have started a tale of Discovery, has to be said. So okay, we'll see where well, it goes. We shall see. <laughs> we shall see. But thank you so much for joining us, Daryl. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great to have you back. And obviously we'll we have it. you on again at some point as well. We I finally got this one I on the back. I must say, I remember feverishly messaging you, DMing you on Twitter after having watched this for the first time in March going, <laughs> oh my God, Nichelle Nichols is in this. Boys, if you, if you like thought of doing this on the podcast and Liam sending me like basically a little like tap on the nose going well sir <laughs> at some point we will be doing it it's Absolutely. on the list there yes. you go there you go we knew right then you'd be the perfect guy for the job right it's goodbye from me Liam Dempsey it's goodbye from my co-host Matt Mac Chuck Turner brother <laughs> <laughs> hey if I knew there was Chuck Turner here I'd be paid more than $50 <laughs> 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 oh. Right. Goodbye, people. Fuck. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs>